This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I want to invite you to take your Bibles. We're going to be moving around, looking at different passages this evening. As I promised this morning, we're going to finish up a study tonight dealing with God's answer to depression. We're in a series right now. It really involves taking discipleship to the next level. The Word of God tells us that God has given us all that we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now remember, the Word of God is the Word of God. There is no other word. We need to remember that the Old Testament is God's revelation of himself to us. And then all through the Old Testament, it predicted the Messiah who would come. When you study the Bible, you realize that the Bible reveals a master plan of God. Over 1,500 years, 40 different authors writing, no contradictions, and it all pointed to the Messiah who would be born. But John 1 reminds us that as God has given us his written word, God then did something even more special and needful for us. He gave us the living word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with uh, God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All right? Uh, religions. The cults try to redefine all of that, but they do so ignoring the light of the Scripture. So God communicated to us through the living Word, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And the Scripture says that we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. When you looked at Jesus, you saw God in flesh. All right, so the scripture is very clear about that. But then the apostles would go on to write about the fact that our sufficiency is in Christ. Everything we need is in him. But as we get to the end of Time In these last days, there will be many antichrists, the Bible says. There will be those that come and make predictions. There will be those who claim to have answers. But they don't. We have the answer through the word of God. I don't claim to have all the answers, but I know God does. And so we can go to the Word of God, and even when it comes to issues like depression, uh, we have answers. So tonight I want to finish that up. I had promised you a handout, but I had something happen, happen that was very depressing. <laughs> My hard drive failed. And so uh, I have the notes for this message, but I'm going to have to put all that on paper and hand it out to I'm not depressed tonight, okay? I really am not. Um, but I, I spent a good deal of time hoping that that was backed up someplace and I could find it and uh, not to be. All right. So, what about the matter of depression? Uh, you'll remember a few weeks ago, we mentioned that most men and women especially when they get into that midlife time, uh, experience struggles of depression. A person's response to these feelings will result in either a productive life or a withdrawal from life and a withdrawal from responsibility. I started out by saying that depression is real. We are all broken because of the curse. Uh, we are going to struggle with our health. Uh, we're going to struggle with circumstances that we can't explain, that we, we couldn't predict. And uh, as I mentioned, the best of men are just men at best. All right, so we looked at some basic questions related to depression. 
We looked at why depression is called an illness. I mentioned to you that one of the reasons for that is because people feel better when on a medication. A lot of that medication, though, is intended to mask symptoms. It may make you feel better, but it doesn't mean that it's making you better, right? Okay. And so people feel better on a medication. I go and I see someone. I tell them I'm depressed. They give me a prescription. And, uh, and it must be medical because medication made me feel better. Well, not necessarily so. Also, another reason uh, that it's called an illness because many people want some explanation for behavior that removes personal responsibility. If someone tells me that my feelings are, are an illness or, or something that I am not responsible for, well, I'll feel better. Then I, uh, I really don't need to do anything, just listen to therapy and advice and take medication. And we looked at why that is a problem as well. We then went on to why... Depression should not be called an illness. First, there is often no proof that anything is wrong with the body. And we, we talked about that. Now, there, there are things that are wrong with the body that cause depression. Okay, that, that is absolutely true. And in fact, an extended illness can wear someone down emotionally. But if, if a person isn't feeling right and they're they're discouraged and they just don't feel like they can go on and they sit across the desk from someone and someone listens to uh, their struggles and then starts writing a prescription that there's no physical proof that they in fact have something physiologically wrong and so there's often no proof but again I want to emphasize that sometimes there is and there are physical tests that can be done uh, and I shared even that uh, in one biblical counseling situation that I uh, dealt with a while uh, back, someone was really struggling emotionally and uh, come to find out that the thyroid was, was bad. And, and once that got corrected, then uh, it was a great help to them. Also, chemical imbalance is often a theory, not a fact. All right, there are in fact chemicals that are being prescribed that, that are put in a person's body that, uh, that are foreign to the body. And to say, well, that's, I have a chemical imbalance because, you know, my lithium is off or, or something. A lot of that is, it's a foreign substance. You can't say my chemical, uh, I've got a chemical imbalance when, when they're injecting or I'm taking chemicals that are, God never put in my body to begin with. Again, there are chemical imbalances, though. If your potassium, if, if other uh, things that God made you to have, if those things are off, uh, it, it can be a serious problem. But again, uh, just because someone looks on the outside and makes a diagnosis, that doesn't mean it's true. Man sees on the outward appearance. God sees the heart. God is the only one who can see uh, in t inside. And then we also mentioned that depression is not an emotional problem. And that, that took some folks back. I, I appreciated the feedback that I got. Depression is proof that the emotions are working just fine. Do you realize that God has, has made you in his image, fearfully, wonderfully made, and there are things that God has built into you that signal there's a problem. The alarm system, though, is not the problem. You need to find out why the alarm is going off. Then you need to go to God. Uh, and, uh, again, physically, you need to make sure that uh, you can see a doctor, make sure that, uh, that again, through blood work and, and testing, that, that everything is the way it ought to be. But many times... The emotional side is, is just proof there's, there's another problem. Most often I think that's the case, and we need to go to God. We looked at the examples of Job and Elijah. Both battled depression, 
But the Lord identified the real problem as the way these men were thinking. Remember the end of the book of Job? God comes to him, not with an explanation, but with questions. And he's trying to refocus Job on the greatness of his God, bring Job into agreement with what the young ladies sang tonight. I love that. Thank you, ladies. God is good. God is always good. God is good to me. Job really questioned that. But when he came into agreement, God got him back where Job was, was seeing things clearly. It helped him emotionally, certainly, and then God turned things around. Elijah, the same case. This, again, does not diminish the fact that both of these men were weakened physically. Things had happened to weaken them physically. And so the application was uh, for us in our series, and who is qualified to disciple and counsel someone that's battling depression? First, we have to think biblically clearly, and we have to admit the realities that I've just shared. And then those are qualified to disciple and help who believe that God's Word has the true answers for depression. We ended last time by looking at some biblical helps for this, and I'm going to review, and then we're going to get into the rest of the message here. There are some biblical helps. Remember that the Bible gives us examples of those who were depressed. We have the example of a godless man, Genesis 4, by the name of Cain. Again, at critical points of decision, God had spoken. Cain said, no, I'm going to do it my way. And at those points, now he begins to spiral downward. God came to him, and I love how God came to him. Cain, why is your countenance fallen? Now, that's critical. Emotionally, he was already on the way down. Cain, if you'll just obey me, I'll accept you. But Cain, if you continue in this pathway, sin lies at the door. Did Cain listen to God? No. He tried to offer his sacrifice. God rejected it. And you'll remember it made him angry, it made him bitter. We're going to see later that with depression, anger is most often a component. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But Cain is angry. And then he slays his brother. And the alarm went off. It's called guilt. It's called conscience. God confronts him, and of course, he's denying everything initially. But then when God speaks judgment to Cain, what does Cain do? Now he's, he's, he's at the bottom, and he's fearful. Everybody who meets me is going to try to kill me. But he was an ungodly man, disobedient to the Lord. Then we have the example of a godly man who was depressed. His name is Elijah, 1 Kings 19. A man who had seen the mighty hand of God. Remember, God rained down fire on Mount Carmel. Prophets of Baal are slain, the false prophets. God then sends rain. But Elijah runs a marathon, just about a full marathon, 20 miles. He runs across the Esdraelon Valley back to Jezreel, beats Ahab's chariot back there, he is worn out. Ministry has been hard. And then Jezebel sends him some mail. If you're alive tomorrow this time, it's not going to be my fault because I intend to kill you. And instead of taking that note to God, reflecting on all the mighty things God had done, Elijah runs another marathon. Clear out of Israel, through Judea. Now he's in the southern wilderness asking God to just kill him. What had happened? He had taken his eyes off of God. The classic 
parts of depression that we see in his life, confused thinking, feelings of loneliness, physical exhaustion, suicidal thoughts, passive outlook on responsibility. I'm, I'm no better than my father's. Change in attitude, change in appetite. He's exhausted. And I love how God ministers to him. He lets him sleep. Let's him get his rest. Wakes him up twice. An angel wakes him up twice and feeds him. Let's him go back to sleep. And then when physically he has recovered to a point, then God starts asking questions to open his heart. Elijah, what are you doing down here? Well, God... And so God ministers to Elijah, still small voice. What was it that set Elijah back on course? The truth. See, all along, Elijah's not thinking truth. God ministers to him through truth, corrects his thinking. And by the way, uh, God also gave Elijah a friend. Sometimes loneliness contributes. That friend was also his accountability and then God reminds him, look, I've got the whole plan laid out. And he tells him about what's coming in the history of Israel. Here's what kings would succeed, what, uh, what kings. God says, I've, I've got this, Elijah. And oh, by the way, you're not alone. 8,000 have not bowed the knee to Baal. Wow. Okay. And so we defined depression based on the examples. We could define that as a debilitating mood, a feeling, air of hopelessness, which becomes a person's escape mechanism. Just trying to flee the pressure they're feeling, the emotional strain. And it's all a result of not responding correctly to important issues in life. By the way, even for those that are religious, I don't know how the world handles the pressures and the fears that are out there. Oh, by the way, they're not handling it. When the medications don't work anymore, they're ending their own lives without hope in this present age. But that's not us. We know Christ. All right, so... There's, depression is a strong feeling orientation which leads to irresponsibility. Now again, know the difference between depression, discouragement. Discouragement, someone is still mobile. They're still working for God. Things can be discouraging. Depression is to the point where they're at rock bottom, immobility, and not able to go on, at least in their own minds. All right. And so what I want to emphasize tonight as we continue is this. God has called us to good works. God has called us to obedience. If we know his word, he has shown us the light. We know what he expects us to be. But when we refuse to obey, whether it's fear, uh, whether we start making excuses, uh, when that begins to happen, here's what happens. Romans chapter 1 begins to take place in our lives. And I'd like us to go over there. Remember the book of Romans teaches us all about our salvation. The beginning chapters teach us why we need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. You and I cannot work our way to heaven. Impossible. We are dead in trespasses and sins. We are already unqualified for heaven because of the sin problem. And so these early chapters establish that. And yet, though we have a sin problem, we also are made in the image of God, and we know there's a God in heaven. Chapter 1 tells us about the witness of creation. The choir sang about that tonight. Okay? Chapter 2 tells about the witness of conscience. Because we've been made in God's image, there's basic law written in every one of our hearts to know right and wrong. Now, because of sin because of other voices in this world that are trying to redefine sin, God, all right, uh, 
the conscience can be corrupted. But we have those two witnesses uh, that are built into every one of us. But when you go to chapter 1, verse 21, it tells us this, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and foolish heart, and their foolish heart was darkened. I heard a preacher one time say this, how do you make a fist at God? When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. That's how. We all know that there's a God. We know that we are responsible to that God. But when we don't give him his rightful place, exalt him, worship him, obey him alone, then some serious things begin to happen. You've heard me express it this way. God has placed in us a heart to worship. But in the center of our hearts, there is a place for God. And there's only one place that we're, and it's only God will fit there. When you and I take God and we refuse to acknowledge him as God and worship him as God, that hole might as well be a black hole someplace in space. It doesn't matter what you put into that hole, you're never going to fill it. It will never satisfy. Pleasure, narcotics, relationships, money, religious works, never satisfy. Okay? It's not until we give God his rightful place that once again we're able to function as God wants us to. All right, and so when they knew God and they weren't willing to glorify him as God, what does the verse say? Neither were they thankful. Now, ingratitude is part of the problem, but, but here's the other part. When you don't glorify God as God, okay, you're not only thankful, you can't be satisfied. But became vain in their imaginations, all right? Something else is going to satisfy. It's unreasonable thinking. And when they try to fill that void with whatever else the reality is, it's going to make them afraid or angry because their way cannot work. And then their foolish heart is darkened. So what this defines for us is a spiral that goes down. Disobedience is the primary cause of depression. Let me ask you this. When Elijah ran out of Israel and he's in the wilderness, is he being obedient to God or not? No. Where was the will of God for Elijah? When the wilderness. He is out of the will of God. Oh, but, but he had reasons. Yeah. But think, he had God. God had just proven himself. God had not told Elijah to go to Beersheba. His focus was now on himself. Now Elijah was going to do things his own way. You sense as he talks to God that there's a bit of anger. This isn't fair. Lord, I'm the only one left. Now they seek my life. With depression, there's often a sense of injustice about our circumstances. And many times, that sense points an accusing finger back to God. Life isn't fair. Did Job have any of those thoughts? He sure did. Okay. Guess what? Life isn't fair. But you know what? God is just. Let me say that again. Life isn't fair. Is it fair that Jesus had to die on a cross for me? I don't think that's fair. But my God is just. He's just. And so Romans 1.21 applies to unbelievers and believers. 
So if I could picture, help you picture uh, depression this way. We can see it with the examples in Scripture. We could look at the Old Testament example of King Saul. King Saul was a depressed guy. By the way, I, I would even take it a step further. You want an example of bipolar in the Bible? King Saul. One minute he's listening to the concert, and the next minute he's trying to pin the musician to the wall with a javelin. I would call that an emotional swing. What do you think? But what was Saul's problem? Disobedience. He would not just simply obey God. All right. So you need to remember that depression is really a spiral. Here's what happens. In my life, God tells me to do something, and I, I decide yes or no. If I say no... Now we begin to spiral down. At the next point, again, and, and God is so merciful, he's so faithful, he's going to come and he's going to confront that. He might use someone, he might use his word, certainly the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us. And at that point, if I say no to God again, what happens? The spiral continues down. Again, King Saul is a classic example. Until, when they knew God and they don't glorify him as God, okay, they, they become dissatisfied in their hearts. Their foolish heart is darkened, and at a certain point, there's rock bottom. Depression. Despair is a Bible term. So, how do you get out of that? Confess to God the disobedience. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to do what? forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and then we begin to spiral out at the next point I obey God again I humbly obey God and God brings me back out of that read Psalm 51 David wrote that after his sin with Bathsheba after murdering Bathsheba's husband and in that Psalm you'll read words about depression David talks about groaning inwardly, strings that were broken. He was at rock bottom, but then he starts talking about restoration. And, and, and how did that happen? Because he, he confessed his sin, he started to agree, agree with God again. So this is the biblical help. Next, we must examine now the biblical principles that enable an individual to deal with depression. Right? So I, I hope that you will write these down. First of all, these are directives from God for handling this biblical, biblically. First of all, realize that sinful habits that go unbroken will bind someone even tighter. Realize that sinful habits that go unbroken will bind someone even tighter. Usually depression is not immediate. Usually it is the result of a lifetime of making bad choices, getting bad advice. So honesty and then obedience are essential. Proverbs 5, 22 and 23 tell us this. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself. That word take means to capture. And he shall be held with the cords of his sins. So recognize that the longer you sin, the more you're going to be bound by sin. And the greater the struggles are going to be emotionally. What's the answer? Just completely getting right with God. Embracing his forgiveness. Letting him restore peace to your heart. And then making wise decisions so that whatever that sin habit is, whatever that thinking pattern is, don't go back to it. Next, recognize the danger of feeling-oriented living. Recognize the danger of feeling-oriented living. How fickle are feelings? How dependable are feelings? 
Tell you what, I can get news, I can hear something, I can see something, and my whole perspective changes, only to find out later that what I thought, which resulted in how I felt, none of it was even true. All right? So there's a danger in that. What does the Lord tell us in Philippians 4 and verse 8? Whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report, if there be virtue, if there be praise, just think those things. You know, we can beat ourselves up over the what-ifs of life. What if this? What if that? Okay? Had someone recently... <laughs> that I invited out for a meal. And they said after the meal, oh, by the way, Pastor, we, we really enjoyed this. We thought we were in trouble. Uh, no, no, but I, I hope at some point they got to enjoy the meal because I, they weren't in any trouble. All right. Uh, all right, so the danger of feeling-oriented living. A depressed person living by his or her feelings will often only talk about the problem. Often they'll use unbiblical checkpoints. Well, I feel. I, I listen for words. I feel. I think. Uh, and, and so on. One of the dangers, too, of feeling-oriented living, and, and, and especially depression, people believe the lie from their flesh that their situation is unique. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. There has no temptation taken you but such as is. Really? That's what God said. Common to man. Oh, nobody understands. Woe is. No, no. You're not the first person to walk on this planet with that problem. Okay. So recognize the danger of feeling-oriented living. And again, Elijah struggled because he thought he knew the truth. He didn't know the truth. Feeling-oriented living is a great temptation that is common to man. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Yet feelings are unpredictable. Okay? Often become the excuse for not dealing with problems scripturally. I want to stop here and just say that those negative feelings are not always the result of sin. I, sometimes they can be the result of legitimate physical problems. But I also want to just share with you a reality. I don't know how many of you have read on the life of C.H. Spurgeon. Spurgeon, prince of preachers, battled depression. Do you know what Spurgeon called it? The minister's fading fits. And he wrote about it. Now, he also said this. He said during those times, he learned, first of all, that Christ is sufficient, and then he learned that the curtain was about to rise on his greatest life's work. That's what he said. And so he learned to go to God. What was Spurgeon's struggle? Two things. If you add these together, it'll overwhelm you, okay? He was overwhelmed by responsibility. Any of you ever feel overwhelmed by responsibility? Number two, he felt insufficient in the responsibility. And that took him down. Now, he did have some physical problems, but he learned in all of that that Christ is sufficient, All right, and so we've looked at the fact that to get help with depression, we need to look for sinful habits, thinking. Secondly, recognize the dangers of feeling-oriented living. Moving on quickly. Thirdly, the Bible tells us to renew our minds, to change our thinking. People often want a counselor, a therapist, to take away the depression first, but this is impossible without wrong thinking changing first. Remember Job? His thinking had to change to agreement about God. 
even though he had every human reason to feel depressed. Remember Paul. Paul knew what it was to be alone, to struggle emotionally. Take your Bibles, would you turn over to 2 Corinthians 12. Second Corinthians 12. Would you look at verse 7? Here's what Paul said, Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given me a thorn in the flesh, but watch this now, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. I believe there are two things happening with Paul. Uh, some Bible scholars have speculated because he saw the Lord on the road to Damascus that it affected his eyes. Uh, there are those in church history that write about the fact his eyes drained, that he was ever conscious of that, maybe blinking, maybe squinting and that it was just even hard to look at Paul and listen to him preach. We don't know for sure. It may have been something else physical. But here's what we do know. Satan used that to beat Paul down. He had discouraging times. But Satan used that to try to discourage him and bring him down. From the text, we can say this. This was probably some kind of demonic oppression. oppression. Not possession. A devil can't possess a Christian. But demonic oppression. Now, what did Paul learn? He besought the Lord, take this away. But the Lord said unto him, verse 9, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul's response, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. Notice that that's plural. I will glory in that. You know what causes most depression? Infirmities. Paul's thinking was different about that. And he understood, I'm going to glory in that, I'm going to rejoice in that, give thanks that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Wow. What a difference. So this was ongoing oppression. This was something that continued to work uh, on Paul. But here's what Paul realized, and the same would be true with Job. The very thing that seemed to hold him back, God was using for his good. That in itself is something that will help you if you battle depression. Look to God and realize that his strength can be made perfect in your weakness if you'll just think right about that. Okay? Emotions can go up and down. Let me, let me just share this, uh, this example. And after I preached the first message, I had someone in our church come to me. And this person told me about a physical problem that they have. And I'm, I'm trying to be careful. The physical problem, this person cannot sleep. Now, that's a physiological problem. Also, along with this problem... Uh, if you heard this person's testimony about their upbringing, it was abusive. It was awful. And yet, in all of this, this person shared a testimony, though they have had to deal with depression. They have focused their mind on Christ. And I had to share with this person, I didn't know any of this other stuff. I knew that you, you struggled some emotionally, but as I look at your life and how you're using your life for God, your talents for God, I had no idea. Now, that's a testimony to Christ. I, 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 I was shocked. 
But Jesus has made them useful and joyful because they've gone to him. Hallelujah. All right. And so renew the mind. Over and over we're told this. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians chapter 4, put off the, the, what is of the old man. Put on what is of the new man. We, we already have that new nature, but, but how do we flesh that out? Philippians chapter 4, how, how do we rejoice always and again rejoice? Don't be anxious. Pray, plead, praise. And then verse 8, think what's right. And God says, I'll give you peace that passes understanding. So God is able to change our minds and to help us have a perspective even in the midst of a storm. Thirdly, here's another important help. You battle depression, rely on the Lord alone, though our emotions will be tested. You're in 2 Corinthians. Go back to chapter 4. Second Corinthians 4, verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we what? Faint not. Drop down to verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, Christ, that the excellency of the power may be of God and what? Not of us. Well, if I, just, if I can just get my emotions under control, if I can just feel good, I'll serve God. No, no, no. Power is of God, not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Perplexed, but not in despair. We don't need to be depressed. There's your word. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Well, that'd be a reason for depression. That's the reality, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. What a perspective. Besides our daily battle with the flesh, God does allow his children to know emotional upheaval in order to learn that he alone is sufficient to deliver. So how can a Christian learn this who has been programmed to think that the answer to emotional turmoil is a pill or a therapist? Looking in the wrong direction. Okay. Next, Respond to daily problems with biblical solutions. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What does Galatians 5, 16? Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. The lusts of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And, and so many of those, it's not outward action. Some of it is. Most of it's inner turmoil. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Now let's be specific about this. Respond to daily problems with biblical solutions. What are biblical solutions? Well, first of all, for those who are battling depression, uh, a good place to start is get back to work. Get back to work. When we get busy for God and we're focused on Him and helping others, it helps to take the, our, our eyes off of ourselves. Okay? Oh, by the way, as you're ministering to others, you may find out that your circumstances really aren't so bad as you thought as you look at what others are facing. Again, Elijah, what did God tell him? Time to get back to work. The depressed person needs to get busy regardless of how they feel. Again, I'm not talking about those who are dealing with severe physical issues and they can't get to work. However, if we're conscious of our spiritual work, what God has called us to do, you know, you may not be able to get out of that bed, but you can pray. These days with email, you can go encourage somebody else. Get busy for God. Focus on others. Get back to work. That will help. 
Somebody said this, the best way to stop worrying is to replace it with concern for the kingdom of God. Secondly, be accountable. Again, Elijah was given Elisha. If someone is struggling with depression, they need to be involved in an NTSG. What's that? A New Testament support group. By the way, this is a great New Testament support group right here. Okay? Just, just get with the family of God. Be busy. Pray together. Talk together. Share your concerns. It's helpful for a person struggling with the depression to continue with a biblical counselor as well. Get someone who knows the Bible who can encourage you and help you uh, with, with being a better disciple. This interaction should be channeled, again, through the local church. Also, if you're in a home where someone is battling this, a Christian home with a spouse, uh, with other family members who know the Lord, can be a great, great help, but be accountable. And then just as a side note, and, and this is just a minor thing as we wrap up tonight, Many times people who are depressed, they've got the medications to prove it. And I always want to remind as we close up a study like this, you say, well, I, I believe that Jesus is sufficient, and so I'm taking these 10 medications, and tomorrow I'm going to stop. Here's what I want to encourage you. Don't. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, but when you're taking substances into your body, your body has learned to depend on those. Changes have happened because of what you've been taking. So, depend on God. Talk to your doctor, but you're going to have to slowly come off of that. Okay? And so, please be careful that way. If God is allowed to work, I've seen it, I believe it, the problem of depression will be solved, okay? Uh, but you need to be very careful and get uh, advice from a doctor when it comes to uh, coming off those medications. So let's conclude. Though fearfully and wonderfully made, our systems are broken. They are. And in case you haven't noticed, you young people don't know this, but the older you get, it doesn't get better. Okay? We become pros at pills and creams and whatever. Doesn't get better. Paul may have also had physical issues that Satan used to beat him down. Remember, the scripture never points to better health or circumstances as the answer to spiritual and emotional health. Did you hear that? The Bible never says, well, if, if your circumstances are better and if you get well, uh, then you can be happy in the Lord. God never said that. But he does talk about peace that passes understanding. He does talk about, oh, how happy is the man or the woman that. Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is the man. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Okay? And all of that points, and I believe in the Sermon on the Mount, those Beatitudes, there is a progression there. But it's absolute yieldedness to Christ. The result is blessedness in Christ that then prepares us to fulfill the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And how does the Sermon on the Mount end? Those who hear these sayings of mine and do them, I'll tell you what they're like. They're like a man that built his house on a rock. And the storms came. What happened? The house stood. But those who hear these sayings of mine and don't do them, they're like those who build their house on the sand. The storms come. What happens to the house? Great destruction. That house is not a physical home. It's you and me, these bodies, what we do in these bodies. All right. And so the Bible points to a renewed mind, a yielded heart, a trusting heart.
and freedom in Christ. We all have seasons where we feel guilt, regret, where even Satan is putting thoughts in our head, and we know that from the Scripture. But we need to take those things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and bring them into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Let's pray. Father, we know that we struggle emotionally. We know that God, our physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, it's all intertwined, tied together as we've been made in your image. But Father, you make no mistakes. And you've completely equipped your children, your church, to be able to handle the emotional upheaval that, that can easily beset us. God, help us to run looking unto Jesus. Thank you for the good attention tonight. Lord, help us to pray for each other. But Lord, help us to run to you when we have needs. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.